All right. So, like Casey said, missions offering, missions week, it is by far one of my personal favorite times of the year outside of Breakaway. Um, it is just, it, it's a lot of fun, not just because we get to spend time with an incredible man or woman of God, but because I know what God has done, not only in the lives of those around us, but in my own life, when having time and getting a cup of coffee with someone who's already given their lives to what the Lord has said and told them where to go and how to love others across the world and how that impacted me and encouraged me to even consider going on a missions trip, Right. And then that missions trip leading me on into a deeper relationship with the Lord and putting me in the spot to maybe consider, Lord, are you asking more of my life than what I already had planned? Which ultimately has led me and my lovely wife, Lindsay, all the way up to Alaska, right? All because I was hanging out with a missionary at a Starbucks one time, hearing their stories and hearing about what God has done. And so I just, I love Missions Week. This year, it's, it's near and dear to my heart. We have our dear friends, Jimmy and Maggie Okitkin, coming from Kotlik. They're going to be spending that week with us, and we're going to be hearing some incredible stories from these people who have just loved the villages around western Alaska. And we're going to have the opportunity to bless him and his family and his ministry. And so I, I just encourage you, you're asking me to give, you know, give up something. Ask the Lord, be like, God, what is something you're asking me to give? You know, couldn't our small group come together and potentially give something greater than I could do by myself? You know, is there something I'm not using that I could sell on Marketplace right now? Because apparently things have inflated in price, Right. And so literally, just think of creative ways, and let's bless our friends who come, and we get to hear what God has not only done in their lives, but what he's still doing through their lives. And let that impact us as we consider what God has not only done in our lives, but what he could possibly do through our lives, not just here on the campus, but even throughout the world, right? Awesome. So tonight, we, uh, the past couple weeks, we've been walking through a fun time, a fun few conversations, a series that we've called Commitment Issues, right? Um, it's, been, it's been really cool, and it's, it's been great. Paul talked a few weeks ago just about the value of Jesus, and Crystal killed it last week talking about sin and temptation. Y'all remember that when I loved what she was saying, it's the decoys of the devil and the strategies of a savior? I thought that was so cool. Um, I was taking notes furiously, um, but it's been a fun time. We, we felt led by the Lord to talk about these things because ultimately we, we wanted to have a conversation on what are some areas when it comes to our relationships with God that are keeping us held back or are hanging us up from experiencing the full purposeful relationship with Christ that he would intend to have with us, right? And so that's what we've been talking about. And so tonight we're going to continue that series. And before I jump fully into what we're going to talk about, I want to go back a couple weeks. Many of you guys, how many of y'all went to Breakaway a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, like, like a solid chunk of us. It was a great time. If you didn't go this year, it's okay. You can go next year unless you're graduating, then that's okay. Uh, you'll, you'll come eventually. Uh, anyways... During breakaway, our friend A-Rod, who came to share with us, um, there was a moment, he didn't spend the whole weekend talking about this, but there was a moment when he mentioned there's four different roles that God fulfills within our relationship with him, right? And so I'm just, I'm going to roll through those really fast, kind of set the stage of our whole conversation tonight. You know, the first role that A-Rod shared is that God, or Jesus, 
fills the role of he is our savior, right? Now, this one we've actually heard a lot. It's pretty simple enough, and, and it basically is just stating that Jesus or God, he is our savior, or that our salvation comes from him, right? The second role that we find that God is described in is that he is our friend. And this comes in at a close second to us hearing about him being our savior all the time. And that is because it's, it's really popular right now in order to talk about our relationship with God being something real, right? And the Bible does talk about God being our friend. And so we've heard this over and over again. And it's very easy for many of us in this room to have an idea or a basic understanding of what it means to have a friend. And that our relationship with God is like that of a friend, you know. So we hear that role a lot. So that he's our savior. He's our friend. The third role that, that A-Rod had mentioned was that he is our bridegroom. Okay, now, now this is where it starts to get a little tricky, okay? Um, this is where the Bible talks about this quite often, that Jesus is the bridegroom and that we, the church, or the body of believers, are the bride. And so it gets, it gets a little interesting to think about, but it's more relatable because many of us in this room, we understand what the concept of marriage is, Right? In fact, I would go so far as to say many of you in this room desire to be married one day, right? You're probably looking around at who you'd like to marry one day. And so at, at that point, yes, it's, it's interesting to think about Jesus being our bridegroom, but we have some type of basis and understanding of what that actually means, right? The last role, and this is where we're going to have our conversation tonight, the last role that we talk about God fulfilling in our relationship is that he is actually our Lord, right? And so tonight for, you know, kind of this part three of a commitment issues conversation is we're going to talk about lordship. What does it mean for God to be Lord? And how does his lordship affect our relationship with him, okay? And so to begin this conversation, I have a couple scriptures for us. And I apologize, I don't have slides or anything for tonight. Um, and so you guys can just listen along or, or pull out your Bibles and just take some good notes here. But uh, where we're going to find right now is I'm just going to read a couple of these short verses for us. And the first one being Psalms 113, verse 3. It says this, that from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Following that, the next scripture I have is from Psalms 24, verse 1. It says this, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. You know, you recognize here, David is, uh, King David is the one who's ascribed to writing most of the Psalms. And if you listen to whether it was song or poetry, and you, and you hear the words that are used here, these aren't just simple suggestions that saying, oh, the sun is rising, I guess this would, uh, we should probably, you know, praise the name of the Lord. But no, David's, David's vocabulary here is very clear. It's from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised, right? You follow that with the earth is the Lord's. It's not him saying it might be the Lord's, but that it is the Lord's. So what does it mean for God to be Lord? As I mentioned, it's, it's pretty difficult for us to understand lordship without all the other roles that we've already like, talked about. And it's not necessarily because we don't understand what it means for someone to be a lord, right? I was even having some fun. I looked up the Webster's definition of what, it, what lord is, and it's, it's pretty simple. It says, one having power and authority over others. Right? That, that, that's a pretty easy definition, right? 
But it's not the definition that makes it difficult, right? It's actually how we feel about someone being the Lord of our lives, right? Think about this with me real quick. When was the last time you watched a superhero movie? Right? Last week, a couple days ago, last night, right? We are living in a day and age where there is no lack of a superhero flick. Whether it's a movie, TV show, whether you're a fan of Marvel, DC, some other random type of superhero no one's ever heard of, right? Like, like we, are, we are just overloaded with superheroes right now, right? Now let me ask you this question. When was the last time you watched a movie about a good and honorable king? Kind of hard to think about, right? I had, I, I had some fun. I asked some of, the, some of the guys around me at one time that same question, and all of us just sat back and were like, man, it, uh, like Lord of the Rings, maybe? I don't know. And I was happy about that one. But typically, the movies and the stories that we have with kings or royalty are wrought with corruption and scandal, Right? And almost invariably, these stories are dealing with the people wanting to revolt or seek salvation from this tyrannical king or family of royalty, right? It's really interesting. Maybe, you know, this could be based on the fact that we are, you know, from an American culture that was founded upon a group of people uniting themselves to revolt against the king, right? You call it the American Revolution, right? Like, like maybe that's the reason, but... One of the reasons I'm wanting to describe this right now is because at, at the core, our like, Western American mindset directly rebels against the thought of there being a singular authority over us that is commanding us on what we should do, or worse, telling us who we should be, right? I began to think about this even more so in my own life, and, and I kept you know, thinking about it, that honestly, I, I personally, I don't really enjoy having someone tell me what to do without a good reason for it, right? And, and I was reminded of this story I had. Uh, this was one summer back when I was in, still in high school, and I had decided that I was going to spend the summer working for my grandfather at our family ranch, okay? And so I got up there, and I was really looking forward to it, and I was going to learn all of the ins and outs of what it meant to take care of the family ranch, okay? You know, whether it was working the cows, plowing a field, building a fence, you know, whatever my grandfather, who I affectionately call Peapop, whatever Peapop told me to do, that was going to be my job because I was learning, right? Well, one day, we were going through the pasture, and we stopped, and um, Peapop looks over at me and goes, Kevin? I go, yes, Peapop. He goes, you see that stack of wood over there? And I looked off in the pasture, and I saw it was a stack. It was about a cord or two of a bunch of oak logs that had been sitting there, obviously, for a while. There was, like, some dirt and grass growing over there. And I said, yeah, yeah, I see it. He's like, okay, I want you to take that stack of oak logs from this pasture across the road to the other pasture. And I looked at him with this look of kind of, like, bewilderment. I'm like, okay, you know, why, why do you want the logs over there, Peapop? And he looked at me, and he had kind of like one of those half-cocked smiles, you know. And he just simply says, because I told you so. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I, 
you know, there is, there is, there is something in me that was like, mm, that's not enough good enough reason. You got to give me something more. But I can tell you right now that I just said, yes, sir. I woke up about three hours early that next morning, went out to the pasture, and by hand moved all of these oak logs from one spot to another, walking about a mile each way, uphill, you know, you gotta, you gotta get a little embellishment in there, right? And, you know, when I look back on this, it, it's very interesting. I mean, to this day, I'm pretty sure that stack of oak logs is still in the pasture that I moved them over to right now. But this was a moment that really sets this example that, for me, when I had to do something I didn't want to do with no other reason than simply my grandfather telling me to, right? What's interesting that, that I begin to continually think about is that the Bible actually talks a lot about God telling people what to do without giving a whole lot of necessary reason behind it. And though we may hear more about him being a savior and a friend oftentimes in the Bible or in a lot of conversations that we have, the Bible actually talks just as much, if not more, about God being the Lord and that we should live our lives for him simply for the fact that he is who he is, right? So let's go back to some of these scriptures, okay? Let's go back to Psalms 24, what I mentioned earlier. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That statement, fullness thereof, you know, that, that reference, we, we are included in that statement. We're kind of wrapped up in it. He's not just talking about the world being his possession, but he's talking about everything within it, right? This psalm was actually sung. It's, it's pretty understood that King David at the time was moving the Ark of the Covenant, which was a big deal to the nation of Israel in, the, in this time in history. And it was being moved from where it was set up after some wars and some transfer of power back into Jerusalem, where the place it was to be for like worshiping God, right? And as this ark was moving into Jerusalem, it was said that David took this psalm and was singing it and declaring it in front of the ark to the nation. And it was on purpose that he was saying, I'm not just declaring that we are the people of God or God is our Lord. It's that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? We can keep going. We can find more verses about this. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22 says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am the Lord, and there is no other. And the prophet Isaiah here is speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel, declaring to them that their salvation is not dependent on their circumstance. It's dependent on his being, right? It was not a suggestion to be saved because he could save them. It was a command to be saved because he is the only one who can save, right? We keep going in this. We, we jump ahead into some of Paul's writings in the New Testament. We find in Romans 14, 8, Paul says this. He goes, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. You know, Paul here, he's speaking to a community of early believers and other people that are coming into the fellowship, and he's saying that their lives are not what's important or central in this moment, that it's actually the lordship of God that is important and central, right? And later on, Paul goes so far as to say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, he goes, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Kind of scratch your head at that statement right there. But, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
again, Paul is just declaring here the sovereignty and the lordship of Jesus. The Bible is pretty clear. Jesus is not just our Savior or our friend. He's our Lord. And we can spend a little bit more time tonight. One of, my, one of the verses or chunks of Scripture I wanted to talk about was in Mark chapter 12, verse 13. If you guys have your Bibles, you can flip there. I'm going to talk about this for a second. Because what we find here is, is there's a moment where Jesus becomes, he's approached by some Pharisees, some guys who, some religious leaders who know a lot about, you know, the law of God and what it means for someone to be the Savior that was to come. And we find them trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to trap him into some, like, um, debate, right? And so we find ourselves here in Mark chapter 12, verse 13. It says that the Pharisees and some of the Herodians came to trap him in his talk. And they came to and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? And this is where it gets good. Jesus says, bring me a denarius and, look, and let me look at it. They brought one, and he said to them, whose image and inscription is on this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus says to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. See, this, this moment in Scripture has so much truth within it, but... Here, what I want us to see is that Jesus is clearly stating the basis of authority God has to be our Lord. I mean, this takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? When the Genesis 1, and, and actually in verse 27, where it literally says, God describes creating mankind in, in his image, right? We are literally image bearers of God. And in the same way that Jesus is describing the denarius's value being based upon the image stamped on it, so is our value based in the image that we have been created in, right? Tonight, I'm not wanting to answer the question and spend time talking about why Jesus should be our Lord. The reality is that he already is our Lord. The question I'm wanting to dig in tonight is why have we not made Jesus Lord of our lives completely? You see, whether we recognize it or not, all of us have something or someone as Lord over our lives. You know, for some of you guys, maybe this Lord could be money. You know, you've chosen which degree to study or job to pursue based on how much money you'll make. Or you make all your decisions by how much money you do or do not have, right? For some of you guys, the Lord of your life may actually be relationships. You choose the clothes you wear, the words you say, to get the attention of the people you want to be friends with or want to hang out with you. You see, we've already made things Lord of our lives. And almost invariably, these things that become Lords over us are there because of our own selfishness and trust issues that we would have. You see, we assign value to different things, whether they be like what we've already said, money and possessions. And typically, we, we would even say things like this, that God, you can be my savior, but this is my money or these are my things, or I don't trust you to give me the things that I want, right? It could be with friends and relationships. We could say something like, God, you can be my friend, but only when it doesn't embarrass me around others. Or 
only when it doesn't make me not be able to date or pursue the person I want to because they act this way, right? Or we could even say something of, I don't trust you, God, to be a true friend. You could even go so far as to say your plans and your goals and your achievements, that we would say something of, God, you can be my savior, but I've got control over my life. Or you're not going to get in the way of my plans I've already made. Or I don't trust you to actually fulfill my life. And finally, we could even go and say, like, we could, we could look at safety and protection being the Lord of our lives and sound like someone saying, God, I don't trust you to take care of me better than I can take care of myself, right? This value that we dictate over these things that become Lord is our own personal selfishness. We're essentially saying, what do I want and how am I going to get it? So to answer that question earlier that I proposed, what I want us to dig into tonight why have we not made Jesus Lord of our lives? It's our selfishness and belief that we don't want to trust God. You see, it's easy to make Jesus our Savior. Everybody wants to be saved, right? Especially when we're in danger. I guarantee you, if you're in danger, that you would welcome or grab hold of the hand of the rescuer that's above you trying to pull you out of whatever danger you're in, right? And again, it's even easy for us to say that Jesus is our friend or our bridegroom because let's be honest, none of us in this room really want to be lonely, right? Like if, if we hear a person wants to spend time with or longs to be with us and commit a relationship with us, that's, it's pretty well assumed that you would gladly welcome that relationship, that you would want to spend time with this person, right? What's not widely desired and sought after is for someone to become the Lord over us because either we don't trust them to be our Lord or we're too selfish to give our life to them. Yet here... God, here is the only person who actually is qualified to be the Lord over everything, right? And yet we can't trust him or we're too petty to give him what is actually rightfully his. His lordship is based on who he is. He's ultimately the most qualified to be our Lord. Now, think with me for a minute. What would it really look like if you gave complete control of your life to Jesus? Would you stop chasing after this world and the things that are temporary for, that you think are going to satisfy you but ultimately don't wind up fulfilling your life? If he knows what's best and he knows you the most, what would his best for your life actually look like? Begin to think about that. And as we begin to think about this, and I was, you know, I was talking with Lindsay about these thoughts I was having for this evening, you know, we began to think between ourselves, you know, for us, what, what was his best for our life? What does it look like? Well, for us right now, it's, it's here. It's in Alaska. It's buying our first home, trusting our entire life to everything he would have for us, right? It's raising our three kids here, experiencing constant provision when we thought we would never see what life would be like truly trusting him and letting him be Lord of our lives. It's also witnessing a community of discipleship and love that ultimately is not just going to change a campus or a city or a state, but is in fact changing the world, right? Now, all of these things for Lindsay and I, as, as we, we came to this and we said, yes, Lord, you are, you are our Savior and you are the Lord over our lives, it wasn't a giant 
huge yes and sacrifice that we had to bring before the Lord and say, okay, it's, this is all completely it. Take me to the worst place that you could imagine, and this is going to be so hard, and I'm not going to live with all these different things and luxuries. Like, that was never the case. In reality, what it was, was saying, Lord, I trust you, that you are my God, and I am yours. And everything to follow that was a bunch of little yeses of God saying, will you do this? Yes, Lord. God saying, will you go to this place? Yes, Lord. Do you trust me to take care of you? Yes, Lord. Right? You see, there's, there's actually a story in the Bible of someone who really gets this, who really understands what we're talking about, lordship, okay? And it's this really cool moment, in fact, in Jesus' life and his ministry where he interacts with this, this person that we know that's called to the Bible as the faithful centurion. If you guys want to grab your Bibles, if y'all want to look there, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. And you can follow along as I kind of talk about this. But here we find Jesus has just finished what is called the Sermon on the Mount. He's gathered uh, the 12 disciples and a whole bunch of other people have been following him as he's been talking about the kingdom of heaven and what eternity looks like. And he finds this moment now where he's just finished the Sermon on the Mount and he's leaving. And he gets chased down by a group of servants that are begging him to stop and come to see their master, right? So that's where we find ourselves here in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. It says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy, the centurion is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord. Now, pause here for a moment. This is kind of a cool footnote. There's a lot of times when Jesus gets approached by someone in the Bible. And oftentimes when he's approached by someone, they either call him teacher or master. This is one of the first times where we find someone actually approach him with the title Lord, right? This is interesting. So he says this, he says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. And this is where it gets really, really great. He says, For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel, the nation of the chosen people of God, have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let 
you know, a couple days ago, as I was thinking through this conversation and thinking through these thoughts, this was not the verse that came to mind. This was not the portion of scripture I had imagined talking about tonight. But I've been reminded of this because there's this beautiful moment where here is a man who's not even been raised in this culture, this nation of the Israel, the chosen people of God, right? Who Jesus has come out of as the Messiah, the Savior for not just this people, but the world. And he has this understanding of who Jesus is from all of these stories and all these interactions and all of this news he's heard about this man traveling through this nation, right? And based on these stories and this news and probably some encounters some friends had with him that had come and shared with the centurion, he has the understanding of what it means for authority and lordship to understand that Jesus wasn't just some holy man or some wise man that was walking around the towns and sharing things and saying, hey, it's probably a good idea if you give your life to Jesus, you know, why don't you come to the water and get baptized, but had enough understanding of authority and lordship and assigned that to Jesus, knowing that just by Jesus's word, it didn't even matter if Jesus was in the same room as the person who was sick, but just by his word as in the same understanding he would have, that just by Caesar's word, armies would move, nations would crumble, right? In that same way, just by Jesus' word, bodies were healed, the dead was raised, and salvation has come. I mean, it's crazy to even think, Jesus didn't even refer to his closest friends or disciples that were around him of men being of such great faith. You know, those like Peter, James, and John, those that were known to be the closest to Jesus, they were, they were known to be close and to be loved by Jesus, which is beautiful, and I'm not wanting to down, downplay that at all. But here we find Jesus declaring someone who wasn't even a part of his own people of having greater faith than anyone else because he understood something. He understood lordship. It's the same Lord that created the universe by speaking, that here healed the servant by his word, and that even now is greatly to be praised and is worthy of our lives, right? Alex, if you wanted to come back up, friend, you can, you can go ahead and head this way. You know, lordship is, is it's, it's something, like I said, it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Because like I said in the beginning, it's, it's never fun to have someone tell you what to do and not give you a good reason for it, right? And many of us already in this room have plans and hopes and dreams and, and futures already in mind. I mean, those plans and dreams are probably what even brought you to UAF and Fairbanks to begin with. And you, you become, you've intersected life, you've become friends with us, and now we're hearing these conversations about your life actually needing to be given to the Lord, Right? And, and not just because he's your savior, not just because he's your friend, but actually because he is the Lord of everything. And that's, that's pretty heavy stuff, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I can tell you this, that if the same God that created the universe by speaking a word, and the same God that healed a servant, not even by being in the same room, but just by speaking his word, can take care of, 
it's, it's very easy for us to say that he is the most qualified and he is the only one truly worthy to be our Lord, to have the rightful ownership over our lives, right? You know, one of our, one of our dear old, old dead guys or gals, one of, our, one of our dear ODG friends says it like this, that unless Jesus is Lord of all, he isn't, he's not Lord at all, right? You see, at, at the core of tonight, I believe that if we begin to treat Jesus as Lord, not just as Savior, not just as friend, but treat him as Lord, if we begin to interact with him on this, if we talk about him that he is our Lord, and if we understand his role as being our Lord, that we make him the integration point of our lives in which everything else is filtered through, we'll witness the true purpose of life. We'll witness true fulfillment. And that purpose of life, that's being his, both in this world and in the next to come, right? So how do, how do we even begin to do this? <laughs> we talked a lot about lordship, giving our lives to the Lord. Well, I have, I have four things for you guys. How do we begin this process? How do we surrender to the lordship of Jesus? First, I would say this, it's simply listen to what he says. If you want to go through after tonight and really begin to ask a question like, okay, Lord, how do I make you Lord of my life? How do I surrender more? You can jump into the book of Luke in chapter 10, verse 27, where he says this, Jesus tells them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It's the beginning of this. And second to that, if you want, you can go into Matthews chapter 5 through 7 and read Jesus' conversation about the Sermon on the Mount, what it means to live a life given to the kingdom of heaven, right? So the first thing is to listen to what he says. The second thing that I would tell you guys is to look for time to spend with him. Sit down and schedule time in your day to spend in prayer with him. Spend time reading his word, read the Bible. Spend time talking with those that you know have had thriving relationship with God for years for years and years, right? Talk to your friends, talk to those in your small group about what it means to spend time with God. So listen to what he says, look for time to spend with him. The third would be live like he is your Lord. Make God the integration point of your life. Let every decision be filtered through the desires and plans that Jesus has for your life instead of your own. And if you don't know what those desires and plans are for your life, I guarantee if you begin to spend more time with him, you'll begin to learn what they are, right? I can tell you right now that when I began the process of making Jesus the integration point of my life, it wasn't in that exact moment that he told me, you're going to wind up in Fairbanks, Alaska, and move up there in 2014, and then commit the rest of your life there. That wasn't from day one, right? That was that process of all of these yeses to the Lord, right? All of these moments when he would say, would you do this? Yes, Lord, my life is yours. You are my so listen to what he says. Look for time to spend with him. Live like he is your Lord. And the last thing I would say is to live out his final words. 
You know, Jesus at the end, he said something. We call it the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is Lord. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, no matter what context of life you're in, whether you're a full-time student or you're a full-time missionary, whether you go on from this place and have a full-time career or become a full-time stay-at-home parent, no matter the context you're in, his final words can be lived out. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, whether you're in a completely different nation or you're in your home nation. Make disciples. So tonight as we close, I recognize that there are really two responses to this conversation. The first is that maybe you're here tonight and you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, it's, it's as easy as when we say it's, it's as easy as ABC. A, admit, B, believe, and C, confess. A, admit that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God and the Lord and Savior of the world. Then believe it in your heart. And finally, confess that you are a sinner and in need of grace of the Lord and Savior, right? Jesus, again, we thank you so much for this night, God. I pray over each and every one of us in this room that you would go with us wherever we are to go. Father, that we continue to grow closer to you, that the integration point of our lives becomes shifted into you, O oh Jesus, because you are the Lord, not just our Lord, but the Lord of everything, and you are worthy to be praised as we just worship, that you are worthy of it all, Jesus. May you continue to just learn in, in a deeper way what it means to give you everything. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.